0: When you see how quickly all of the road running companies got on board with that, it was pretty clear that that's going to be, you know, here to stay. And I mean, the controversy is relevant in my mind at a point when the technology jumps so far. It's like, wow, you just blew away everything that's been done before because of that change.
1: Welcome back to the Fastest Known Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Holiday season is coming up, and just in the nick of time, we have a special podcast with The Gear Junkie. That's right. We're speaking with Sean McCoy, who's been with the website Gear
0: Junkie for over 10 years. Thanks for talking with us, Sean. Thanks for having me, Buzz. Wild. You say it like that, it makes me feel like I've been there a very long time. <laughs> well, you have, haven't you? Yeah, it's been a journey. Now, uh, here's my first question: Are you an expert on gear? Uh yeah, I think so. Um uh, <laughs> it's it's kind of a funny thing to think about it that way because I have a, a passion for the outdoors in general and a lot of things outside. Love getting outside, love going and doing everything from you know trail running and mountain biking to skiing to fishing and hunting. And I mean, I'll do, you know, you name it outdoors and I've owned big sailboats and you know, if you, yes, I am. I don't know if I'm an expert, but I think I do fit the definition of a gear junkie. I, <laughs> I really enjoy outdoor gear particularly as well as stuff that doesn't even necessarily go in the outdoor realm. So yeah, I, I love product development and that kind of stuff. It's,
1: well, you're the perfect Fun. person to talk to, and sure. listeners certainly can go on to the written show notes and find, of course, it's GearJunkie.com, Junkie I E, so it's easy to find. But it'll be in the written show notes too, and we'll also have a list of the products we talk about here, so people can track them down. But Sean, since uh, the the holiday giving season is almost actually is upon us now. Let's get right into it. So we're going to have three general categories to this conversation. And the first one is the oldies, but goodies in your experience or your recommendations, what products have been around for a little while that are still worth looking at?
0: Yeah, that's a, that's, I mean, I'm a big adherent to the buy once cry once philosophy of outdoor gear. Um, If you know, you're going to like a sport for a while. Invest in the good stuff. I mean, maybe not if you're trying it for the first time, you might want to try to not spend a ton of money, but when you know you're going to do something, getting the good stuff that lasts a long time. I literally have a pair of pants that I've owned for my entire life, and they were actually my great grandfathers, and they still function to this day as they did back in the 1930s when they were made. These are wool, you know, this isn't FKT stuff, but it's a, a an example um and you know when you start looking at more modern things that work great and have worked for me for a long time something less than 70 years yeah ago. yeah it's that's that's maybe a stretch but um the uh like i have a Dyneema fabric backpack uh, i think it was made by hyperlite mountain gear um i'm not a 100% sure of that but i it doesn't have it's it's old enough it doesn't have markings on it anymore but You can still get Dyneema packs like this. It's very simple, very basic mountaineering pack without a lot of bells or whistles on it, but it is just bomb proof. Like it is so tough. Um, And I've carried that uh, 10 ish years now for all kinds of different stuff in the mountains. And I use it when I need something that's tough. And, you know, so that's one of those places where you could, if you make a significant investment, you know, it's going to last a long time. Good call.
1: I um, love clarify for people. So that used to be originally was called Cuban fiber.
0: Yes. And then it was changed to
1: DCF, which stood for Dyneema composite fabric. Yep. And a quick note: this is not woven. It's not. Uh, it's very different. They they make this by floating polyethylene film on top of water, and then putting the Dyneema matrix in it. So it's 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 not even made on any type of knitting machine. It's interesting stuff.
0: Yeah. I'm a big fan of the product in general is like, I mean, also use it for, you can use it for rigging for sailboats and, uh, you know, all kinds of industrial applications as well. It's super strong, but it's not, it's not new in a sense, but it's awesome. Um, so that's been around in my closet for a long time. Um, uh, what
1: else do you got sitting around in that closet that your wife wants you to throw away?
0: Oh, gosh, that's a big pile. <laughs> Mostly shoes on shoes. But um, things that I don't want to throw away that I'll I'll stand up and hold on to. Uh, satellite communication device. Um, you know, there are a lot of them out there and they're getting better all the time. But I have an old school spot device that I still use for regular, you know, backcountry stuff where I know I probably won't have cell phone service, I also probably won't be sending any messages. Uh, usually I just carry the small spot device. It's the original kind of old school one. And for me, that's enough to know I have an emergency beacon I could use if needed. Um, I have other GPS communicate or satellite communicators, but that's what I carry with me when I'm just trying to get out for for a quick adventure that may not require you know, regular check ins. Um, it's just you have that SO button you can push.
1: That's a good clarification, Sean. Uh, the acronym is PLB for personal locator beacon. And Aaron Walston wishes he had one. Yeah. And that's, of course, the classic example. This originally was to call for a rescue. And mm-hmm. the spot, of course, you pressed a button and it did not require cell phone service. None of them do. They beam their signal up to a satellite. And satellites generally, mostly have coverage all over the world. And what you're saying is the spot doesn't have a lot of features, but it does perform that rescue function if you need it.
0: Yep. And I mean, it won't talk to your phone. You can't communicate back and forth with it outside of a couple of preset messages that you can send. But basically, that's it. And I mean, for a lot of people... If you're going to invest in one, there's a good chance you'd want to get something more complex or that has more capabilities for multi-direction. You know, you could actually communicate back and forth with someone, including rescuers. Uh, but for the FKT crowd, you know, you can also track yourself on those. I mean, I'm sure tons of people that are listening probably use them for, you know, things on the, uh, you know, long trails and things like that. Um you know, there are a ton of modern, better, you know, choices probably if you're wanting to communicate back and forth. Uh, we were talking earlier about the Zolio. I don't know if you want to go into that now, but seeing as we're talking about Satcom. Well, Zolio is um, interesting because like you say, it,
1: it bridges this this gap. So mm-hmm. The Spot is a PLB. You got your three yeah. pre-recorded messages while the Garmin Mini is kind of rose to the forefront. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And as long as you have very tiny fingers, you can send text messages saying, hey, I'm running behind schedule, but I'll still be at the trailhead at midnight. Yeah. As opposed to help, I'm lost. But the Zolio, you're telling me, Sean, that's very interesting. It doesn't have a bunch of little tiny buttons. Yeah. It only pairs with your cell phone, which you're probably
0: carrying anyway. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, it works with the Bluetooth or the cell phone, um, which I think is, is generally going to be sufficient for most people. If you're carrying electronics, you're probably also carrying a battery or at least paying attention to your battery life on your phone. Um, But the, the kicker is, and I think this is key for most any satellite communicators, which there are many of these days is that it has an SOS button as well. So if your phone does die or your phone breaks or whatever, You still have that SOS capability. There have been a few made that only work with your phone. And that makes me a little nervous. Um, So I think if you're going to have a SATCOM, it should work in multiple ways. But uh, that's another one. And then there's, like I say, there's several others um, on the market. Pretty cool products these days. I think so. I think the PLB
1: is, you know, if I'm in country, so to speak, front country, I I carry a cell phone. But if you're going back country, a PLB is a worthwhile investment.
0: Yeah. I I tend to agree with you on that. I've, I've been happy to have it. I've never set one off. I hope I never do. You know, I'm a pretty big proponent of being prepared to self rescue. Nobody's coming. You know, that kind of mentality I think is, is, is smart for most people to have, but with the back pocket uh, thing of, yeah, I do have this just in case things really go bad. Um, Not bad to have.
1: I like that. Well, anything else in that closet that you're not going to part with, Sean?
0: Um, I have a fairly worn uh, Solomon uh, trail running pack, the skin 12. It's just, I've used it through a lot of races and it's stinky and nasty and worn, but it fits my body really well. I've used a lot of them and it's just, I think for most people, and I don't know about all ultra runners, but for myself, I tend to kind of get a relationship with a pack and not want to change it that much. The things that work on it, you build a, a regular series of, you know, you come into an aid station or something, or you're, you're looking for things, you know where the pockets are. It becomes familiar. Uh, it would be hard for me to part with, with one that I've done a bunch of ultras in already. Right. Even though your wife wants you to throw it out and get something else. She wants me to burn it and probably fumigate it. It's just so just, I mean, after how many hundred miles they start getting pretty gross, (laughs) but, uh, you know, you get familiar with what it's going to do, where it rides on your body. You know, it's hard for me to switch those up. Um, even though I, I test them a lot, it's kind of, I think it's kind of that, the curse of the gear tester where you find something that you love, but you're supposed to move on and trade, you know, try the next thing. It's tough for me with that one because, uh, you know, those miles, it's a big commitment and you get out there and you don't want to have to try something you haven't used a lot for myself. So uh, that I'd say that's probably one of those things that's hard for me to, to part with.
1: Well, Sean, your perspective is very interesting. I think listeners are going to find it. Refreshing, alarming, or surprising in that you 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 must have a garage that you know you'll bore, yeah. and it's like the Kathy in the cartoon where you know, stuff just spills out. So companies are sending you gear up the wazoo, and yet this isn't your personal take on it. You just get something you like, you stick with it. I liked your comment to begin with. You make a serious investment at the start, and then you keep it.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, my personal take on it is I'm very much a use it until it's completely trashed kind of outdoor gear user. I have a, I have a Patagonia shirt. Uh, this is actually one I should mention. I had sort of forgotten about it. I have a Patagonia, uh, Capoline shirt I bought while I worked at Midwest Mountaineering in Minneapolis back in 1998, oh, probably 1999, still wear it. It has holes in the shoulders and the elbows. It's trashed as heck, but I still love it. I still wear it. And uh, it's kind of funny being in the role at Gear Junkie where I do get a lot of gear into test. You know, we move it through testing. We try to, you know, get it to a point where we know it well and then get it back to the brand or get it over to, like, donate it to somebody uh, because it comes through in a sense that, like, you can't store gear forever. And, um, you, you can only wear so many shirts at the same time. And, but yet that one is going to stay in my closet as long as I can keep it patched together. And, you know,
1: Or until you're gone for a week and your wife cleans out the closet.
0: Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I don't know that one. I think she knows better. (laughs) Get a special relationship with stuff like that and talk it through. And she's like, Oh, that you got to take care of that.
1: You know. <laughs> All right. Good enough. I, like I that. appreciate that. You know, I think yeah. that you're. I'm not sure if your attitude's great for the economy. You would kind of want to. You know, we're we're a couple trillion dollars short right now. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't think buying an extra piece of outdoor gear is going to help that cause out too much.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean. I think if I think it's great buying stuff when it's when it's a good investment for you, you know, and that's really what our goal is at the company is to try to help people choose things that will be right for them. So they're not wasting money on on the incorrect product. And, you know, a lot of that's knowing yourself and knowing what you want to do with it and then doing the research, which we're we try to help out with a little bit.
1: And you're helping us out right now. As we move into 2020. 2020. The 2020 category. What gear came out this year? We're at the end of the year that moved the needle.
0: All right. So this has been obviously a very weird year. Um, the, The first thing I want to talk about is just a simple winter running jacket. I and another person on our team have both had this jacket and fallen in love with it. It's made by a Nordic ski company which was used to be called bjorn dolly is now just known as dolly uh and it's their dolly jacket winter run they call it it is not a great name but it's a spectacular piece of gear it has an aerogel insulated chest area basically an insulation across the chest and stomach that's made of aerogel uh do you know aerogel are you familiar with it i'm not i'm not okay so Aerogel is the most insulating substance uh, on earth. It's also one of the lightest substances for its properties. It's, it's one of the lightest solids, just a little heavier than air. And that's because most of it is literally empty space. So it's extremely light and extremely insulated. Uh, they've tried to use it in a lot of products over the years to make things like, uh, you know, 8,000 meter suits and things like that, but it has some properties that make it not great for that because it's, it's kind of, uh, it's extremely susceptible to water damage and used to have a problem with being crushed, but they've been able to overcome some of this in recent years. And I, I'm sorry, Polar Tech or Prima Loft one of the two of you came up with using it. <laughs> it was one of those. I can't remember off the top of my head, uh, but has, it, it's, it's found its way into some really interesting uses in outdoor gear over the last year or two. Um, and this is one of those places where it's only used in the chest area. So because of that, it's a very thin, almost imperceptible layer of insulation, but it's enough that it cuts the cold down to maybe 10 degrees or so. But the jacket is very thin, very light, and it has a mesh back on it. Um, I can run in that jacket up to probably 50-ish degrees, maybe even 60 if I'm wearing a very light base layer. And then I could wear that jacket right down to 10 degrees um, without changing the layers underneath very much. I've been really impressed with its versatility in that way um and uh really enjoyed running in that jacket it's it's great
1: that's a good tip i did not know about that one sean i did know about bjorn dolly who i presume this is the company's named after yes a swedish nordic skier who uh very highly decorated and reputedly the highest vo2 max ever recorded a little tidbit on bjorn dolly awesome yeah awesome. even higher than matt carpenter supposedly
0: that is so impressive. I I am just getting more into Nordic skiing this year because of uh, COVID in part, and also because I have a a young dog who's spectacular at pulling. So I'm going to be out there doing a lot of uh, ski-juring, I think, as well. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, that, that's, that, that's another good tip, but a different podcast for that it's one. a
0: different area.
1: <laughs> what about other products? That's a good one. That, um,
0: 2020. So another, one another 2020 product, uh, I believe it just came on the market in October or November, uh, is the Black Diamond Distance Spike. Um, It's a very lightweight traction device, um, and it really has reset the... Uh, the design on distance uh, on, on running spikes. Um, you know, the, the, the micro spike has been kind of the, the one for so long. And I mean, there's a handful of other ones out there, but, uh, there haven't been a lot of big design changes. The black diamond distance spike is definitely designed for trail running. Um, the tread pattern on it is kind of meant to eliminate catching your toes and heels as much. It's also meant with, uh, it has a, uh, a fabric that covers the toe. I think it's got a durable water repellent finish on it to help shed moisture, and um, also gives you a really nice, like, complete. Uh, it it spreads out the pressure from from the strap, more or less. Uh, it's really light as well. Uh, I don't have the spec in front of me, but it's a very light uh, trail running spike. I think that's a cool one. It could be really. Really interesting. I'm actually haven't been on it yet, but I'm hoping to start running on those in the next week or so. So The Black Diamond
1: Distance Spike. That's very interesting because here in Boulder, with the summits above Boulder, you don't walk out the door unless you're wearing your Mm Cthulhu Microspikes. It looks like they're filming a commercial. It's it's so uh, omniscient. But this is a competitor. So it's interesting but I like what you said, Sean, about that fabric covering the toe. That's an upgrade because why not add a little warmth while you're doing it and eliminate the pressure points? So yeah, that's, that's a good design feature. Well, yeah, at the same time, you know, the founder of Cotula, Danny Giovoli, is a, is a friend of mine. So I'm kind of going, oh, wow, gee, this is sort of a tough one, but you know, all's fair in love and business.
0: Yeah. I mean, and I do like Cthulhu's a lot. I've used those a ton myself and agree they're an excellent product uh but yeah and then so black diamond is actually coming up with three new models now the distance the access and the blitz the blitz is a super super light one that i would almost say is more of a competitor to some of the niche mountaineering products uh you know i've got some for example like vargo titanium makes a set that are extremely small and light that you basically would just carry for you know throw them on quickly if you're crossing a a snow patch, you know, in a summer mountaineering trip or something like that. Um, So that's what the blitz is, is a super small uh, competitor to that kind of thing. Those look pretty
1: clever too. Is it sort of like the Cthulhu nano spike?
0: Uh, Yeah, I would almost say it's even, even less spiky. There's nothing on, I can't remember. Does the nano have anything on the heel? Uh, Yes, it it does. but, But these are like, they're they're basically like the uh, screws that you put into your shoe. Uh-huh. It's like the that blitz size. This is literally I'm looking at a picture of it right now. It has uh, just tread under your forefoot, mm. and it's like a, a rubber strap that goes over your toe, under your foot, and then back around your heel. Wow, so That's very light. minimal. Um, I think the weight on that is 57 grams per device. Wow, that's two ounces. Yeah, they're not much to them. So for for people looking for that, like, oh, I just need to strap something on for a quick, dangerous section. Also, a new product that's just coming to the market right now. Pretty I neat like stuff. that. That's yeah. a good one. Yeah, I love. I, I, you know, being in Denver, I'm just down the road from you. Same thing. Like, you really most of the winter can't get out there too much without at least having them in your pack. You never know what you're going to run into.
1: Right. Well, it's interesting because Danny told me a few years ago. That they never patented the Cthulhu technology. Mm-hmm. And indeed, their own factory knocked them off. This is sort of an interesting insider outdoor industry story. I have a feeling that- I know which ones those are. <laughs> <laughs> you probably do. But that's kind of a tough blow. Yeah. You invent this technology, you do a ton of marketing, you do the whole sales distribution. It's well accepted in the community. And they're being made by a factory in China. And then suddenly the factory in China says, Well, I'm just gonna keep doing these and call them something else and sell them direct. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That one hurt. Oh well. But Black, product, Diamond, Black Diamond, Black Diamond is better sourcing. They have their sourcing overseas they have an, an entire office overseas so they can control their production you know they do their technical products when they do the climbing gear you can't make a mistake you know quality control is very important so bd does a very good job on engineering
0: yeah yeah absolutely
1: Okay. That's a good one. And by the way, so please look on the written show notes. You will find links to these products. So Sean's little tips will be at your fingertips. Anything else for 2020, Sean?
0: All right. So, well, let's, let's still talk about something you could look at and actually buy right now. Um, but that's newish. I think these are very new actually. And if nothing else, I doubt many people have heard of them. Uh, VJ shoes. Um, so VJ shoes is a Finnish company. Um, and this year they launched a North American division. Um, our founder, Stephen Reginald has been testing and absolutely loves these for, uh, adventure racing style off trail running he does a lot of orienteering um and this is a one that the model he's been trying is the i rock three uh trail shoe it is uh has huge seven millimeter lugs so you're, you're, you're you know almost thinking of like a like a cleat you know big big luggy shoe uh but with a very low profile and a flexible midsole. So for him, he's he's running, you know, through Minnesota's forests most of the time, trying to find uh check, you know, waypoints um for for adventure racing and for for orienteering. And this that kind of like sloppy material, you know, ground. Um this is for him, he f- he finds it like a perfect fit. Um they have a Kevlar reinforced mesh. And the last that's really narrow and snug for a really precise fit. Um, So this, this is that kind of like super fast moving quickly through the forest type of shoe. Um, And they're like nine ounces per shoe. So wow. Very light, fast and luggy. Um, It sounds really interesting. I haven't had my hands on a pair yet, but I think they look really interesting. And for, you know, the fast, fast light audience, I think could be something worth looking into.
1: I had never heard of VJ shoes.
0: Yeah, it's it's really uh, new to me too. Um, I feel like it's kind of a competitor to like the Innovate. Um, they're doing the graphene shoes these days, which are also really cool. I mean, that's a, that's a neat, uh, luggy shoe that has a lot of durability. Uh, I like those a lot, but personally being in Colorado, I don't run in a very luggy shoe very often. You know, I don't know about yourself, but I personally find a big heavy lug leg like at that out here is a little bit of a liability on the rock and the correct the, the type of trail we have. But you know, softer soil, it's really nice.
1: That's correct. That's an interesting point. VJ Finland, well, they need lugs? I hear it snows yep. sometimes in Finland, occasionally, as well as Minnesota. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I appreciate what you said about Colorado and and. Basically, a big lug here means you could snag one of those lugs on a little sharp piece of rock. So it yeah. doesn't provide more traction at all, but it can make them a little
0: grabby. Yeah, they can be a little grabby. I find them a little bit squirrely sometimes. Almost like you can you can wobble around on them if you're on rock. Um, I like a, a little bit shorter lug, a lot shorter lug personally for running here. But um, you know, yeah, the Minnesota, the soft terrain. You know, you get the fell running style shoes. Um, right. Definitely good stuff for, uh, for a lot of places as well.
1: Right. And you mentioned the famous shoe company from England, of course, mm-hmm. that they're competing against and fell running is English. And so they're up there in those moors. They're not just mud, but they'll be running on grass. Yeah. It sounds totally casual. Like lay down and take a nap. Grass is slippery. Oh yeah, <laughs> <It's interesting. laughs> Right. And people haven't experienced that, you know, kind of wonder what I'm saying there, but you could be on rock. And as you said, Sean, it's grippy. Yeah. You don't need big lugs, but you get on wet grass, you can go down in an instant.
0: Yep. I mean, it's kind of like well, looking at it, uh, soccer or football players. You know, it's that same kind of concept of having something that digs into that soft soil a little bit. Um, makes a lot of sense to me. I, you know, again, I don't get in that type of train too often, but I have run some races in that that type of place. And you definitely want different footwear. Um, right anything
1: else for 2020 this is a good list i'm I'm uh,
0: so one that i can't talk a lot about if we wanted to just just touch touch quickly on it which i think has had a lot of people interested is the north face vective um we could you know there's there's a few stories about it out there uh they're they're just just mentioning it and it's kind of a tease for what's coming up in 2021 uh, you're gonna see this coming in january but you know there's a couple of teases out on it it's one of those it's a carbon fiber and energetic foam return system they're making some big you know claims i think it's supposed to be a really fast shoe so that's one that that should be really interesting to come out uh coming up in about a month and a half or so we're out uh testing it right now so really looking forward to to uh, some some more conclusive data from our testers. Right. Well let's clarify that because this is this is big news. Yeah.
1: I think people have wised up and acknowledged grudgingly, if or not, the Nike. I mean Nike changed the world of running shoe. It's there's you know pre-Zoom fly and there's post Zoom fly. Yeah. And if you wanted to do well in an international marathon, road marathon, you ran in a Nike product, or you tried to get out of your other contracts so you could run in a Nike product, and then uh, other companies jumped on board and they tried to clamor and figure out how to get on that little bandwagon. And nor and wasn't that controversial, Sean? That was a remarkable yeah. situation because you know they tested that. You know the four percent that number came from miles from my house. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is Roger Absolutely. Crom down here at the Human Performance Laboratory at the University of Colorado. And he came up with, yeah, it is 4%. That's a big number if yeah. you're in a road marathon. Oh, it's a massive
0: number. I mean, I, I feel like it's that kind of thing where at a point, if you're not going to jump into that, you're not going to compete if it really gives you that much return, you know, and I think it does from, from everything we've seen this year and all these new super shoes basically coming out. um, It's a, it's the new reality of, of road running. Um, And it seems like that's where this may be going with trail running, which is kind of uh, the next step, I guess. Um, So many
1: other companies tried to figure out the technology and made their own versions, but uh, North Face, I think, is the first to bring that type of tech to a trail running shoe. This is the carbon plate with the energy return mechanism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's- also, when, I, when I look at a photo of it, Sean, it does have that rocker. Yes. You know, it's yeah. uh, it, it has that Hoka looking rocker. It's not a
0: flat shoe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot you could try to suss out from that photo. Like how are you going to get energy return? Will it flatten out when you, when you step, will it, will it give rebound or will it be more of a roll through type of foot placement? Like I'm very curious about it. And like I said, I'm not testing it personally because we have other people on our team working on that one, but I am very excited to read the reporting on it once, once we get done. Um, I think that one's going to be really interesting, but I think it may be one of the first if, you know, I think it's probably the first that's going to hit the market. It is, I highly doubt going to be the last, you know, (laughs) it's it's, when you see how quickly all of the road running companies got on board with that. It was pretty clear that that's going to be, you know, here to stay. Um, And I mean, the controversy is relevant in my mind, it's kind of like, if you look at the tour de France, you have people that you have to have a bike of a certain weight. It has to follow certain guidelines. And at a point when the technology jumps so far, it's like, wow, it, you just blew away everything that's been done before because of that change. Um, it's, it's interesting to me. I'm not opposed to it. I think I actually love to see those sorts of leaps and bounds in technology, but that was one that we'll see what happens with trail running. I think it's, a little harder to quantify because there's so many other variables on the trails, you know, versus, you know, a track, you can measure everything down to, you know, the only real variable is heat and, and wind. Whereas on the trails, it's like every trail run is different. It could be the exact same race, but you know, a different day and everything's different, you know, running Leadville or something like that in cold weather and rain versus dry and hot is a totally different run. So uh it'll be interesting to see um i could use all the help i can get so if it fits in that i'm uh i'm game for trying just about anything
1: right the north face vective we're gonna have we're gonna circle back on this in january like you just said it's gonna be interesting to see how this shakes out and i look forward to hearing what steven has to say about
0: it yeah me too um it'll it'll be neat we got Few people on it right now, so I'm I'm excited to see see what they all have to say about it as as well. Sean, you are quite familiar with uh, the outdoor industry,
1: obviously. Yeah, the outdoor industry show outdoor retailer has not happened now yeah. due to this pandemic, yep. and of course, brick and mortar stores got hit on the chin big time. Yeah, while the mail order people thrived, which is a in my opinion, I'm just going to say it, it's a, a difficult situation. Oh, boy, the brick-and-mortar yeah. people are the ones who move the industry forward. They organize the fund runs. They do the shoe fittings. They give you advice. They donate shoes to the high school team, which a certain large company with a, whose name starts with an A does not do. So I'm going to just come out of the blue, Sean, here. Mm-hmm. What do you think? What's the state of the industry? What, what What's dire prediction
0: or rosy outlook do you have? I am I am really missing the in-person elements of the industry right now. And I think I'm not alone at this point. We've had, you know, the more I've talked to people over the last, you know, even a couple of weeks, I think that we've really started to see people saying, Boy, I really miss this stuff. I really miss the community element of the outdoor industry. Um, and the in-person Element of of reviewing gear and being able to go to an outdoor retailer show or, you know, to take it a few steps larger to CES or SHOT Show or the uh, ICAST. I mean, these are all not all the same industry, but kind of related. And, uh, you know, you miss the community. I personally think that the it's going to bounce back. Um, It's just I have a hard time believing that people won't want to be back in person doing things soon. Um, I think we've revealed how incredibly capable people are of working in, you know, difficult trying circumstances and can be productive from anywhere in the world, which I hope we can bring forward to, you know, helping people work really effective lifestyles if if you have a job that allows you to do that kind of thing. But man, I miss, I miss the industry in a lot of ways. Um, And all the things you've noted, you know, the in-person element of it is where all of the, I think that's where a lot of the good happens. Um, You know, it's not just the business and the making money, but the, the fundraising, the building community. Yeah. The fun, the reason that we do all of this stuff, you know, it's, it's, it's hard when you can't go see your friends and go for a run or go on a hike with them casually, you know, it's, and, and that's, that's such a small and unimportant thing. I think in a lot of ways to say like, yeah, I want to be able to go hiking with my friends, but I think it's really important when it comes down to it. That's, that's what a lot of people have. That's what they have of their life. Like, those are the things that they live for, not just how they make their, their money, but those are the the things that bring them joy that, that are the way that they spend their free time and uh it's it's tough right now but i i'm confident that as soon as people can we'll be back to doing those things and a lot more you know there will be concerts and there will be festivals and all that stuff um and i think we're gonna have a renewed vigor and appreciation for them in the future probably not take that stuff for granted for a very
1: long (laughs) time when someone offers to buy you
0: a beer you (laughs) you you'll rejoice yeah it's for sure and i mean i think being able to buy someone else a beer is going to be a really great feeling for the when that can happen again sean i pretty much appreciate your
1: perspective
0: thank you thank you very much it's great to be here buzz it's uh it's always great to talk with you